You know that feeling when you look out and all you see is depth and vastness, but you feel rooted? Like your feet aren't just your feet. Like they're connected to something deeper, either on land or in water. And although the depth and vastness of the canyon, the mountain valley, or ocean you might be facing is beyond your human understanding, you aren't empty or scared. You're captivated by what you see and reflective without effort. You know that feeling? You know that space? That's what we hope this space can be for you. Welcome to the Creative Decolonization Podcast. I'm Aluk Edwardson, a multicultural Inuit dominant creative professional and community wellness worker. Like many people who come from collectivist societies, I don't like showcasing myself, but prefer to showcase the group or effort or the work that I'm doing. Learn more about what a collectivist society is and who I am on the Creative Decolonization website. Okay, let's get to it. This is episode zero. Why zero? To set the stage, so to speak. And zero is a pretty cool thing. For real. Or not for real, because zero doesn't exist anywhere in the world, but in our minds. And the things we create. Like the binary code for computers. So that's pretty weird, right? Fox News put out an interesting article on the mind-bendy weirdness of the number zero that I recommend, and I'll link in the notes. I also love docs, so if you're a documentary person, PBS's Nova released an episode called Zero to Infinity that is pretty thought-provoking. I'll put that in the notes too. So episode zero of the Creative Decolonization podcast is about who we are and what you can expect from this podcast. Who we are. Creative Decolonization is an organization with a short but rich history. I began imagining an organization like Creative Decolonization in college while working on my thesis. It was on the healing nature of performance for indigenous communities. I saw a space for people hurting from oppressive and traumatic experiences to find peace and feel joy through creating art and community. I'd experienced the healing and transformative nature of creative expression for years at that point. I started using theater when I was five years old. I started writing as soon as I could when I, you know, writing poetry as soon as I could around nine years old. I was drawing for as long as I can remember and singing for as long as I can remember. And I did this to heal from sexual molestation. I didn't know why. That's why I was so drawn to creating when I was a kid. You know, I just did it. I just wanted to take the energy I was feeling and channel it. And so I did. I write more about this in the origin story for creative decolonization in an article on medium.com called Cultivating Joy Through Pain, a Cultural Context. I'll link that article in the notes in case you want to check it out. So what do we do? Healing and community engagement work, mostly. We use three things to help people do the inner work needed to feel a sense of harmony about who they are, where they come from and how they fit into their communities. The first thing we use is the creative process. So the creative process has been used forever, 
for as long as we know for people to heal, to become inspired, to create new things that were never seen before, to connect to their higher power, to explain things that are unexplainable. The creative process has a space in the human experience that is sacred, right? So we use that in a healthy healing and in a way that encourages people to be their authentic selves. The second thing we use are self-reflective questions, and I design these self-reflective questions very, very carefully with a lot of intention, a lot of research, and a lot of heart, really. I'm really proud of a comment that I got from a workshop participant in 2022. They said that the questions were undirected and compassionate. I really appreciate that because the questions are purposely designed to inspire or engage you around certain ideas, perspectives, research, and then leave the question open for you to explore things on your own, in your own private space of your head and your heart. And so those questions, which are entirely for you, tend to be very helpful for people. The last thing that we use is applied wellness research. And we take this applied wellness research from a variety of sources. I have a background in theater and sociology. You know, I'll talk a little bit later about this, but I'm fascinated by paleoarchaeology. I'm also fascinated by astrology and astronomy. I think they both have wisdom and insight, perspective, and knowledge that we can learn from. And of course, indigenous research. Indigenous research from inside academia and indigenous research from communities, insights and stories from cultural bearers. So those are the three areas that we incorporate the creative process, specifically curated, self-reflective questions that are kind, compassionate, and applied wellness research. So we develop creative spaces where people feel safe and empowered to embrace joy and pain. I think that's really important. There's a lot of spaces that can uplift you, and that's lovely. And there are spaces that bring you down. What about the spaces in which you can find and create and sustain balance? That's what we're about, is really a synchrony. So some of the things that we talk about are the self and community. Those are some of the foundations of our work. What is the self in real life and community today as as you understand it, as the communities that we work with understand it? And it turns out that these two concepts, which are culturally mediated, are pretty important to our wellness as socially connected humans. For instance, human language can only develop within the context of community. I remember reading an article about the lack of language development in an adolescent girl who was found imprisoned since birth. She was never spoken to and did not speak. We need each other to listen and share. Without that, we struggle to understand ourselves. Yet, we need to stand in our own integrity as individuals to exist separate from the group, too. One of the biggest questions I get is, what is decolonization? And for that matter, what is colonization? These are complex experiences with very long histories. Colonization is not a new thing. It's as old as slavery, if not older. Decolonization is nearly as old, with people and communities resisting oppression since it began. You might have just looked colonization up and read words like dominance, control, and settlement of people, especially indigenous people like myself and maybe you. 
While we see colonization in these ways at Creative Decolonization, we created a definition that uses language and perspectives more appropriate to who we are and what we do. To us, colonization is the systemic oppression of all aspects of life for certain people by other people in power for the benefit of few. We say all aspects of life because colonization is that. The supplantation of a person's or community's culture requires that all aspects of life are oppressed in a systemic way. This is the only way colonization works. It's not colonization if two cultures merge instead of one dominating the other. Certain aspects of one or both are lost while new perspectives and traditions are adopted. That's a different thing and something that was done by countless communities for as long as humans have banded together in society. In fact, for much of early humanity, I think banding together was smarter than fighting. It took less energy and provided combined access to resources, knowledge, and family partners, which were a lot harder to find when people were super spread apart. I say I think because we have to be careful imagining the motivations for ancient peoples. Paleoarchaeology inspires me to imagine life in ways I wouldn't if thinking about today. If you are new to paleoarchaeology or you just want to read something great, I recommend Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. So before the overpopulated, largely sedentary world we live in now, people traveled the world, often running into different cultures than their own. We know there was violence that's in the archaeological record for as far back as we can go, but I also think there were many instances when people chose to come together. That evidence, so to speak, wouldn't be on the bones, so having record of it might not be possible. But I still bring it up because I want to think about all of the unity, all of the reconciliation, all of the ways that cultures came together and understood each other and grew from one another. Because I do believe that that is what caused us to get to where we are today, at least in, in the sense that we are, we are humans that are here and dominating the planet. There are big problems with us dominating the planet, for sure, and we'll talk about that and decolonizing our understanding of nature and our relationship to nature and how nature is incorporated into our lives in future episodes, for sure. But I also want to look back and say, how did we accomplish what we have as humans? Way, way back, not just 500 years, not just a thousand years, but before we had quote unquote races, way, way back. Because I think it ties into the work we do today. Okay, so that's colonization as we understand it. So what's decolonization? Decolonization is an education and practice focused on reuniting the self and community with holistic self-empowering practices, and opportunities to heal. And that's what we do. We are focused on decolonizing work, and we do all kinds of decolonizing work. You know, as I mentioned before, the things that we root our work in are creative engagement, self-reflection, and applied wellness research. So that's what makes us different and unique. We also focus very heavily on the beginning of the decolonizing work, understanding what colonization is and decolonization is, understanding what culture is and the self, cultural identity and mixed cultural identity. So you might have realized at this point that I haven't identified colonization with people of Caucasian descent. In my history, I have Viking heritage. The Vikings did colonize spaces. They didn't always colonize spaces, right? I think every people has colonization in their background. 
if you go far back enough, and every pupil has decolonizing behavior. And so this is one of the reasons why I really heavily don't identify colonization with Caucasian people, and I don't identify decolonization with becoming more indigenous. That may be how you decolonize if you're indigenous, but you can still decolonize if you are not indigenous. It's not just an indigenous practice. So it's true that in the last millennia or so, I I do have to mention this, that people of Caucasian descent, including my ancestors, have colonized indigenous people, including my ancestors, (laughs) from all over the world. Indigenous people lost 99% of their land due to European colonization just in the United States. I'm not sure that this number has been calculated for indigenous communities worldwide, but I'll link the article I reference regarding the American statistics in the notes. So because I come from Caucasian, indigenous, and East Asian descent, I think that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this work. I, I have a lot of mixed blood which is just blood at the end of the day. It's not really different components. In my body, I feel that in society. Even though if I were by myself, I probably wouldn't feel that as a self, right? If I'd been raised by myself, I wouldn't have these disconnects. But because I'm part of society, I'm grateful for that. I do have these questions, and maybe you do too. And so this is a space for us to talk about that. So I used to be very upset by this, you know, about the colonization of the world in the colonization of nature and the colonization of science and thought and even art in many ways. I, I've worked a lot on that in myself over decades. And I don't only feel hurt about the effects of colonization and the misunderstandings regarding culture and community anymore. I am less angry. And I've realized that although injustice is one of the hardest emotions for me to let go of, I say it everywhere in the world, it's very, very hard. We cannot heal and find unity within ourselves or anyone else if we are guided by injustice. I see the way out. Personally, I've walked it and I have seen others and helped others walk it. And I want to start this podcast to create a space for people to listen and learn and in their own spirits have conversations with themselves about the way out of colonization in our heads, in our hearts, in our families, in our communities, and, you know, our planet. So I see a way out that includes embracing gratitude and letting go of blame, sustaining wellness so judgment isn't appealing. These are just examples, you know, that we incorporate into the creative decolonization process to do this inner work. And it's up to you if it's transformative or not. It has been for a lot of people. More about this is in the Muthum article, Cultivating Joy Through Pain, a Cultural Context. The recent Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action was focused on eliminating a racial preference for college admissions, right? I'm talking about the one that came out in July 2023. And while I agree with Justice Ketanji Brown that deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life, as she said, I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. You know, race is a made-up thing, like time. Both impact our lives in real ways, and they are both constructs that are supposed to help us understand and categorize the world. The problem is, race is about your blood and your skin color. That's how it was designed. Hashtag the evilness of the one drop rule. For real. 
So the one drop rule and the idea of race was created by the U.S. government to segregate anyone that wasn't white, particularly black people, so that those people that weren't white could be discriminated against for housing, work, and even marriage opportunities. I recently heard a news story about how the majority of baby boomers were of Caucasian descent because it was illegal for people of different races to marry. And it wasn't until 1971 with the Loving versus Virginia case that black and white people could marry. There's some really great stuff out there on that. There's another PBS documentary on the Loving versus Virginia case that I will find. I watched that a few years ago and I'll link it. So this affected us, or at least my parents, maybe your grandparents, or maybe you, <laughs> or maybe your children, depending on who's listening. But my parents were affected by this. My mom was in college at this time. She was looking to get married at this time. So this one drop rule and how race and how people see skin color and blood or even race, which is not a real thing, you know, these, these things weren't, weren't that long ago and they still have pretty big impacts today. Creative decolonization wants to do the cultural identity work, the cultural foundation work, which is also the space that we can do communication across cultures. Interracial communication is a thing, and I don't know much about that, but multicultural communication I know a lot about. And that is rooted in the land, in the people that came before you, in your family stories. So culture is real. Culture is the foundation for how you see the world, how you create meaning, how you determine what is good or bad. That's what it is. One culture may think eating this food is good, another culture may think eating that food is bad. Neither is right. Those are just different understandings of value and meaning. Culture isn't about your blood or skin tone. Culture is about how you were raised and what you know of your ancestry. It's also about what you don't know in interesting ways. It's about what you eat and what you believe about the world around you. Do you believe people are good and generous? Or were you taught to believe that they are selfish? Neither is good, neither is wrong. They inform your sense of self and your sense of place in the world. Culture is also what you believe, you know, in the universe or not. How you believe in God, what you believe, who you believe God is. This is all a part of your cultural foundation. It's also where you learn how to interact with the environment around you. Whether it's full of tundra and ice like my home or full of beautiful buildings and art. Culture is something the government can't define because there is no one interpretation of cultural identity. Even within the same community or family, your cultural identity is as unique as your fingerprint. So join us as we talk with friends and family about their lives and experiences living in a colonized world and the decolonized faces in the world and the decolonized work, which is very inspiring to me. We'll feature the stories and experiences from people of all walks of life, from all over the world, that are connected to our work in some way. A lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of friends of friends. Because we want to highlight the conversations you can have with your neighbors. We want to highlight the conversations you can have with your sisters and brothers, with your best friend, with your teachers, right? With police officers. We want to highlight real-world conversations. We will bring in insights from researchers and cultural bearers, too, because we honor that. It'll be a whole smorgasbord of things, as my Scandinavian side may say. I hope you subscribe with kindness.